Welcome back to Leading at the Point of Sale podcast. My guest today is Evan Wittenberg. Very excited to be talking to Evan. He is the Executive Vice President and Chief People Officer at Ancestry.com. He served a term at Box as a Senior Vice President of People. He worked at HP as Chief Talent Officer, also Head of Global Leadership for Development at Google. He worked at the uh, Wharton School, leading their graduate program in leadership. And Evan, you were also had some stint on Saturday Night Live. And I see from your bio that you have full contact Japanese black belt. So I am actually speaking with a black belt, literal black belt. I'd be nervous to be summoned to your office and see some nunchucks on the top of the table. Welcome. Thank you so much, John. Great, great to be here. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, just to be clear, I was not on Saturday Night Live, but I did work at Saturday Night Live. Yeah, fantastic. Um, that's pretty pretty amazing background uh, for this industry in terms of where you worked with some amazing companies. You know, from the black belt to Google, what has really informed like how you came to Ancestry and how you think about being the chief people officer at Ancestry. Sure. Well, I, th- I think from as early as I can remember, although I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I can see it. I have always been uh, interested in uh, kind of two things. One is how can I help other people succeed and reach their full potential? And the other is what can I learn? How can I grow? Um, and that, I get up in the morning thinking those two things every day. And luckily it's easy to go to sleep at night because eat, Each of those, uh, helping others reach their full potential and learning something myself are easily achievable if they're uh, part of my focus every day. So uh, that's what eventually brought me to the the people role. I'm kind of an accidental HR person, if you will. I come up through uh, leadership development and learning and development. Um, What brought me to Ancestry was really, uh, I have three little kids and a wife who works also. And if I'm going to work as hard as I do, it better be important and I wanted to do something really mission and purpose driven. And when I was leaving Box after five years, I decided, you know, what would be mission and purpose driven at that time, uh, early 2017, uh, the, the hypothesis was in this time of globally increasing xenophobia and provincialism, I thought Ancestry had a unique opportunity to remind everybody that we're all human, we're all connected, and that diversity matters. And that's the world I want my three kids to grow up in, uh, not the world our baser instincts uh, sometimes take us to. So that's why I'm here. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's very relevant in uh, what's happening with, you know, our country this uh, this this year. So, so explain to me some of the other things that have happened. You had mentioned in a prior conversation about how Google kind of like uh, uh, instilled in you a data-driven approach. So there's this human purpose, but there's also, you know, importance to using data associated with how do you drive, you know, an HR department and maybe also comment on this, this concept of, you know, human resources or HR versus a chief people officer. You know, what's the, what's the difference between those two? Yeah, sure. So, um, I joined Google in 2007 after running the leadership program at the Wharton school for five years. And, what I was most interested in is scale. Uh, so at Wharton, I once I solved the problem of how do you educate 800 new MBA students every year so that two years later they leave as better leaders and managers and people. Uh, once you solve that, it doesn't change uh, very much. Uh, Google was interesting because of the massive scale. I joined it about 6,000 and four years later when I left, I think we were about 24,000. So doubling in size almost every year, um, massive scale. And what made really Google work, and I think it's true in academia as well, although at much slower pace, is 
the data-driven nature of everything done there. So I, I remember when uh, Google, there was a New York Times article about Google's Project Oxygen, which I worked on, which is where we were analyzing, do managers matter? That was literally the question, do managers mm -hmm. matter? And I got hundreds of emails from colleagues in the learning and development and leadership development phase, space saying, oh, congratulations, you proved what we've known for 100 years, that managers matter. And I said, yeah, yeah, but time out. What was really important was to prove it at Google and to prove it in a really rigorous way that this made sense at Google in a technology company in the modern age. And uh, so that was successful. So measuring everything from the size of the plates that we use at lunch to see if we could help people uh, portion control better to uh, everything we did around people was was vitally important. And Google had a massive people analytics function that I uh, learned a ton from. So uh, I've brought that with me since then. I think the other thing I learned at Google was something I already knew, which is that uh, people are inherently good. And if you treat them as if they're inherently good and will do the right thing, whether you're looking or not, um, they will do amazing things. If you treat people like most HR functions do and believe that people must be bad and your job is to stop bad people from doing anything wrong, you will immediately shackle 99 plus percent of your population who are good people from being empowered and being able to have an impact. And it's just the wrong way to go. So uh, it kind of proved what I already knew, which is treat people well and trustworthy and they will uh, respond in turn. Yeah, it's really interesting. Those concepts of both, you know, trusting uh, and do managers matter is kind of as it relates to COVID. So I'd love to get your thoughts and sort of what is Ancestry done? What have you done at Ancestry when COVID hit and how are you continuing to manage uh, this remote uh, workforce? Uh, what's fascinating to us is that one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is that Ancestry has a growing business in their core business. Um, a lot of people are very interested in their family genealogies and um, you know where their original genetics are coming from during COVID. Um, but you're also you know, having to build a business, uh, onboard folks, uh, and manage culture during COVID. So I'd love to kind of hear you about your, your COVID journey as uh, the chief people officer. Sure. Uh, well, so I think generally speaking, this has been an interesting time for uh, the people function at different companies. I, I remember, I think I still have the text when I emailed our CEO back in February of 2020 and said, hey, I think we should send an email to the company about this coronavirus thing. And and she was kind of like, why? It's not really even here yet. And I, I said, well, people are nervous about it and they, they just need to know that we're worrying about it for them and they don't have to worry about it, right, in terms of what's going to happen at work, et cetera. And it was only a few weeks later that we shut down all our offices globally. Um, I, I kind of raised my hand and said, hey, I'm happy to be the COVIDs are for the company uh, among the exec team, unless anybody else wants it. And of course, nobody wanted to touch that hot potato. So I've been leading a team of about 14 people, cross-functional team, everything from IT and travel uh, to all the people functions, benefits, uh, et cetera, uh, that, that we're meeting literally we, daily for the last 10 months. We just went to three days a week uh, a couple of weeks ago because we were just getting exhausted ourselves uh, to think about um, COVID and what, what we should do as a result. And so um, the, the interesting thing for this is it's been an opportunity for the people teams to tell people that uh, we do care about them, that they are a priority, that um, we care about them as people, not just as workers, and mm. um, that we're looking out for them. 
but that we will balance all the different pieces. I will also say it's been an interesting experience with a wide array of responses from our employee population. Some of our employees are like, why are we even talking about this? It's a hoax. Let's get back to work. Others mm. are, I'm not going in anytime soon. No matter how safe you tell me it is, I'm not going near that place ever again, right? So there, mm. it really requires uh, empathy, listening, and um, focus on doing the right thing for uh, the majority of our employees. And, and frankly, you know, for our, the, the communities we exist in, because most of our employees do not need to be in an office to be most uh, successful in terms of working, at least in the short term. Yeah, it's interesting you kind of mentioned empathy, you know, listening, uh, you know, uh, uh, security. There's, you know, there's emotions there, right? So um, in our prior conversations, you talked about sort of what are the needs of an employee in general? Uh, and is there is there a hierarchy of needs that we as employees need from our uh, employer? And how have those, those needs maybe changed uh, given this environment? I mean, imagine people are more scared yeah. and nervous. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think generally at any time, separate from COVID, uh, what employees need is they need to feel uh, valued, to feel a sense of belonging, and to feel like they can have an impact and be rewarded for it. That's what all employees need at any, any workplace that goes to inclusion and diversity as well, right? That valued, belonging, and, and a sense that you can have an impact and be rewarded for, for it. Um, I think in this time, actually, I've been using uh, during COVID uh, more of... Uh, David Rock's SCARF model. So David Rock created the Neuro Leadership Institute. Uh, he and I have known each other for years now. And he has this model uh, that came out in 2008, I think it is, uh, just that was a good way for managers and other leaders to think about uh, dealing with their people. I think it's more uh, salient even than ever with COVID. And so the SCARF model, SCARF stands for Status, Certainty, Autonomy, Relatedness, and Fairness. And uh, I just actually had David in uh, about a month and a half ago to talk to my org about this because uh, I think it's so topical. And basically, these are these are kind of uh, responses in the human brain that are that are deeply seated, uh, and they're threat responses, threat and reward responses, right, to social threats or rewards. And, and these are triggered uh, even if things aren't really at risk, right? So uh, nobody, most of us, have not been attacked by a tiger at work, but uh, your brain thinks of some of these like a threat to your status in the same way as if there was a tiger uh, in the room. And mm. so the the pieces of this that are particularly salient, I think, during COVID, certainty is one. People are craving certainty more than ever because everything's so uncertain. And so mm. what do you have to do? We We gave as much certainty as possible, knowing that the world is pretty uncertain, right? We said right at the beginning of this, we won't require anybody to come back to work until at least you know January 1st, 2021. And then I think it was in April when it was clear that that wasn't going to work out so well. We said, uh, okay, now we're not going to require any of you be, to be back at work before July 1st of 2021. So you know, making sure that we can give as much certainty, that didn't really change anybody's life in too many specific ways, but it was just like, okay, good. I, now I have some sense of a timeline now that may have to shift again, right? Hopefully the vaccines rollout is as planned and, and we can still stick with that July date, but we'll see what happens. Uh, autonomy is another one, right? So uh, 
there was a lot of news about companies that were using software to monitor what their employees were doing, working from mm. home. Like that, mm. that really hurts people's uh, sense of autonomy and, and can I do work? Um, and the third one is relatedness, right? The, the R of the scarf is relatedness. And how do you connect to people and feel related and connected when everything is now mitigated over um, technology, Zoom in, in our case, in many cases, um, how do you feel that sense that you used to be, you know, bumping into somebody at the coffee machine and now it's all uh, very scheduled and planned over Zoom? How do we replace some of the things that we missed? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you had talked about at Google about, you know, managers, do they matter? And I imagine in a company where, you know, you're in charge of culture or really promoting the culture and the values of the company, you have this office environment in which to work with, right? So uh, without that office environment, uh, you really are reliant more on the managers. Is that right? I mean, and how, uh, uh, you know, managers sometimes need to have that trust of their employees and their autonomy. And there's some surveys that have shown that um, managers in the survey, um, uh, that managers are nervous about the productivity of their employees, where the employees feel like, hey, I'm, I really love being working at home in many ways, and I, I like the autonomy. How, how do you manage the managers and how do you give them tools and what, what kinds of things do you do for them to, uh, to help the situation? Yeah. So I think, look, managers are vitally important. We know from lots of research that people's experience with their company uh, is first and foremost, their experience with their manager. Um, and so we, you know, we put in place here at Ancestry uh, three years ago, a uh, a manager development program, a manager effectiveness program to make sure that our managers could be as good as possible because every employee deserves a great manager. And that is where you get your primary kind of coaching, development, uh, performance feedback, et cetera. I think what's been clear during this remote working uh, driven by COVID is that managers have some different philosophies and opinions. Not all managers believe, as I do, that people are inherently good. And if you set mm. the right environment and trust them, they will do the right thing. Um, and I think that's been shown more clearly uh, during this time. Some managers, as you said, are nervous. Am I getting the productivity? If I don't see somebody on Zoom for a couple hours, does that mean they're goofing off and playing video games? Or does that mean they're doing some heads down work that requires focus and attention? And maybe they're even more able to focus now than they were when they were sitting at a desk and people were passing by every five minutes. So I, I think it, you know, really it gets to the heart of what some of our managers believe. And I, you know, I, I will also say, I'll just pull in another concept, which is growth mindset. There's mm -hmm. been some good research. If the manager doesn't have a growth mindset and believe that people can and must get better and improve through the right kinds of practice, then they're not going to believe that they're, folks can can change and, and grow. And that means they're going to manage them differently. And and if if you have more of a set embedded view that either somebody's good or they're not, and you weren't sure they were good before COVID, you're certainly going to worry about are they being effective during it. So we, we've seen in the areas we can track well, like our uh, product and technology group, productivity has gone up during mm -hmm. COVID. It went up a lot at the beginning. It's come back down, but still higher than the baseline. But I think mm -hmm. other people are struggling, right? You could argue that maybe some some engineers always enjoyed, you know, themselves and two or three computer screens and just working, uh, you know, kind of undistracted. But a lot of the functions, the people function, for example, like most people went into this to to work with people, and so we may be struggling more, for example. And so you have to just understand that people are different, 
even within a team of engineers, uh, people are different. Their their stressors and drivers are different. What they're dealing with at home, whether they're by themselves in a 300 square foot, uh, you know, studio, or they have three kids hanging off their head while they're on Zoom, like I do, and my whole company now knows my kids because they, you know, walk in and out of our uh, town hall meetings. Like, you know, it's very different situation and managers have to flex based on the person and not take one approach. That's right. So interesting. There's uh, those that are, you know, maybe isolated. Uh, there's those that have to make family decisions and those that, you know, are, are more comfortable. How do you, how do you kind of measure the mental health of your employees? Like it's, it seems like this, uh, it's more important than ever is to be able to understand that and and are there are there things that you are, you folks are doing to actually help the mental health of your employees? Yes, I, I think mental health is it's been important for a while. I think it's uh, critical now. And we actually uh, we had plans uh, in twenty twenty one to put in a a broader based kind of more uh, technology based uh, mental health solution, and we moved that up uh, about six months because it was so clear. Um, at the beginning of COVID that people were really struggling. Some people more than others, but everybody was struggling kind of in their own way. So um, we put in a, a app-based mental health solution um, mm. earlier this earlier in 2020 than we had planned. Uh, and it's it's had great uptake. How do you measure mental health? I think there's a couple of ways, right? We have a engagement survey we do several times a year and our engagement actually went up um, stably. We did it in April and again in October and our engagement was up over the year before quite a bit. Um, but you know, there are signs in there. You can see from comments how people are doing. We know, for example, that some people are really struggling to work from home. Either they have roommates who are all trying to work from home and the Wi-Fi doesn't work or they're just feeling isolated. So we're trying, right? We're piloting uh, small groups of people going into some of our offices. Uh, we mm. just had to back on that with the with the surge in covid recently but you know can we can we make the right space for certain individuals who are who are struggling now um, we have our people partners which is what we call hrvps really have their ear to the ground talking to managers talking to employees who's struggling who seems happy we've coached in, in several sessions our managers to hey if somebody uh, goes dark they might be okay, but don't assume, right? Check in on them and, and don't do it to make sure they're working. Do it to make sure that like, they're they're uh, not struggling and that they don't need some contact and some reach out, right? And then all the normal meeting uh, stuff is even more true now of, you know, if somebody's not speaking up in a meeting, give them a chance to, to have a voice, make sure you're engaging everybody on a regular basis so that they have touch points. Um, so there's a lot of different pieces and um, as I said, you know, making sure that we're applying a solution that lets people both self-help through the through through the app, and we we chose Modern Health. Um, mm-hmm. There are lots of solutions out there. That's what we chose um, back in September. But you know, letting people uh, do self-help, self-guided stuff, um, also work with a, a coach on things, yeah. and then if it's really important, work with uh, actually a, a counselor. Um, those are the the kind of things we need to be more. Uh, applying today. Yeah. Those, those kinds of lifelines and uh, be able to outreach and have a third party to talk to is, is uh, I'm sure a huge, huge benefit to, to many folks. What are you, what are you doing? Like it, I, I've talked to a lot of folks uh, uh, managing their teams remotely. And initially they're doing these, you know, virtual meetings and uh, mixers and book clubs. And what creative things have you, 
uh, found to be successful and like, are those getting tired over time and how are you keeping it, mixing it up? What are some of the tactical things that you're doing to engage the employees uh, and keep the culture going? Yeah, probably not much different than, than everybody else you've heard from. Like we did a, you know, silly sock meeting where everybody literally, you know, wore their silliest pairs of socks. And we went around, this was with, with my org uh, about, 60 people and went around and had everybody show their socks. I, we, we have a dancer on the team who took people through some exercise for the first five minutes. So you wouldn't pull a muscle lifting your sock up to the, to the camera screen uh, to show people, but that, that was kind of fun. We were doing things kind of every week or every two weeks, literally a meeting with my whole org. Other orgs were doing the same every week or two that its sole purpose was fun connectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, we took a break during the summer and then, uh, got back to it. Right. So there, there are ebbs and flows and I think people can get tired of that. And that just becomes another scheduled meeting that I have to go to. And so we're trying to mix it up and make sure there are multiple ways that we're uh, interacting with employees. We did a bunch of stuff over the holidays to try to keep that interesting as well. When we would normally be having, you know, holiday parties, et cetera, we had to figure out how to do that virtually. So I think that the trick is don't let the fun social interactions become just another thing that somebody has to do. Uh, you have to keep changing it up because it does get tedious and tiring when everything is mitigated through a through a screen. So uh, there's a lot of discussion about the long-term impacts of COVID and how it's systemically changing how we work in, in the workforce. Uh, there's statistics that show that up to 24, you know, before COVID, only 4% of the workforce worked from home. And then post-COVID, even after vaccines, it could be upwards as 25% of the you know, U.S. workforce uh, would be working from home. What, what is your philosophy about the importance of bringing people back to an office or not? And um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And um, uh, in, in, in addition, a lot of employees like the idea of being able to work in a hybrid environment where they can kind of have the flexibility of continuing to work from home. That seems to be the statistics show that employees seem to like that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I I mean, there, there are certainly advantages to not commuting. (laughs) I am in much better shape now than I was before COVID because I'm using the commuting time to work out every day. And that's a that's great, right? When I have childcare uh, concerns and other stuff, that's the only time I really get. So that that's been, you know, for me, that's been great. Um, I, it look, it depends on the context. I think everybody at Ancestry joined the company. Almost everybody. We have a handful of remote employees. Yeah, they're genealogists that need to be close to the libraries and collections in various states. But but otherwise, they're you know. People joined this company to, to work together in collaboration, uh, right? We're a family history company. We, we like each other. We like to be together. Um, we, we believe that there would be a big loss if we just went all remote and that um, regardless of research and studies from other places, right, where innovation can probably still be done remotely and you just have to change how you do it. We, we just think there's a real value uh we like each other and there's a real value in kind of having people bounce off each other in random ways uh, on a somewhat regular basis. So uh, the answer for us is not going to be, even though almost the entire company has been working successfully remotely for 10 or 11 months now, we don't think the answer is to just go all remote. We don't think the answer either is to leave it up to employee choice because the problem then is 
hey, I decided to go in on Monday because I want to collaborate with people and nobody else decided to show up that day. That's not mm-hmm. going to work, right? You're going to have an yeah. office that feels like crickets are chirping and it's not going to be vibrant and alive and a place worth being and, and where you get more than you could get at home. So I look, I think our long-term solution, we, we have a plan, we're vetting it with employees now, but I think our long-term solution is going to be um, what we're going to call kind of managed flexibility, where we're going to require employees to be in the office uh, a few days a week, and they're going to be consistent days. So not employee decide when you want to come in, but the company is going to decide two or three days a week that everybody's going to be in the office. And then the other days you can work from wherever you want, which could include the office or home or the beach or wherever you want to be, because we believe people can be productive that way. I think the remote work will be more, the, the homework will be more productive um, on those days, frankly, because I think it'll be a, a breaking breaking up the day, and people will realize that, or breaking up the week, and people will realize like, hey, on the days I work from home, it's better not to be on Zoom, right? So we're going to try those days that we're in the office together. Those are the days where you have the group meetings and those things, and the other days, hopefully, that's time for good, focused, head heads down, no distraction work, right? Um, yeah. I'm sure that won't be the only thing, but generally speaking, there are kinds of work that fit better in you know, with different settings. So I, we don't believe the, you know, group based in-person work goes away, but we do believe you have to increase flexibility given everything we've learned from this experience. And we need to provide more flexibility uh, to our population or we won't be able to attract and retain talent, right? It's just, it yeah. is the future and more flexibility is definitely the answer. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, uh, uh, challenge. I mean, seventy percent of communication is these nonverbal cues, right? Like, so when you're in a in a in a room and people are communicating, and someone is throwing off body language, seventy percent of their body language be negative or don't like the idea. A manager can kind of bring that out, and so you really miss that. I see. Um, the flip side, though, is that you know, if you're an introvert, you know, you, you have equal screenshot time, like on a Zoom call, right? So. You have a place at the table that has some, uh, you know, equilibrium that's coming back, and so you know, really can can be depend on your personality. Um, but that, I think that that's 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 kind of interesting uh, that we miss miss that human connection. I'd love to see the research. I don't know if anybody's done, but the, my sense is that introverts are just as exhausted from Zoom meetings all day as everybody else. I don't I don't think that's, <laughs> I don't think that's less intense. Yeah or introverts than being in a room at a table in real life. Um, and, and I think, you know, the unfortunate part is when you're a face in a screen, it seems like you're there, but if you're not engaged and you don't feel comfortable speaking, you don't get any more value than you would have if you were sitting in that room, not speaking. Right. So you do have a little box on the screen, but it is, as you said, harder to main, to manage like everybody's expressions and all those boxes on the screen in a meeting than, than it would be in, in person. Yeah. You know, the truth is we need to, regardless of our final plan, you know, as long as we're going to have uh, some part of work be from home, which is 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 going to be our plan, we need to teach our managers and everybody on how to be more productive and effective on doing some of this work through, through the electronic medium. Um, yeah. It's just not something that's necessarily intuitive and there are best practices for sure. Yeah. I mean, our brains are not set up for, you know, Zoom calls. They have to work right. twice as hard. We have different processes. And when we're synchronized in a room, it's very natural. When we're not synchronized, your brain's actually working on overload. So the, the concept of Zoom fatigue is actually real. 
Yep. And uh, if people are going to continue to work from home, they kind of managers and employers need to understand the science behind what it means to be behind a screen. You talked about, you know, that uh, we may not be chased by lions, but actually there's statistics or, you know, science that shows like when your face is blown up on a 35 inch screen, you know, anyone's face and you're like sitting in front of your computer, you're normally not that close to someone. And that is, there's actually a stress response that, that happens when, when, uh, when that happens. Huh, yeah. So, not surprised. Yeah. Uh, Evan, what, so in the future, so 2021 is coming up, uh, you know, we have, we have uh, uh, new things happening. We have vaccines that are going out and, you know, when do you think that you guys will be back to normal? What's your predictions? Any other, other predictions or thoughts about, you know, forward th- looking for this year? I mean, look, I, we, we have uh, a new administration. We will see. It seems like they're very focused on vaccine rollout and all the other pieces of controlling the pandemic. So we will see. I'm hopeful. Yep. Um, there's also a lot of you know real straight talk now about what we're going through and uh, the the impact it's had on all of us. So uh, I am hopeful. We we as I said, we six months ago set kind of nobody required to be back in the office before July 1st. We're still doing a phased approach. And and at least for our headquarters in uh, Utah, uh, we have about 50 or 60 people going into the office every day uh, in a very safe way that we've set up. So we will continue to phase into more and more people uh, being able to return to the office, but we were, we're not going to require anybody to go back until July 1st, at least. And I think mm-hmm. the at least will depend on does everyone who wants to, who chooses to, uh, is everyone who chooses to able to get a vaccine? That will be, uh, for me, the, the telling signal because luckily the vaccine is protective enough as far as all the research seems to show that yeah. you decide you want to be protected, you get the vaccine and you can go to work. I don't see us, I could eat my words, but I don't see us requiring the vaccine or anything, that seems like an overstep. And because it's effective enough, I don't think we'll need to. If the vaccine was 50% effective, that's a different story. But effectiveness in the 90s, which is as good as any vaccine, like that that tells me if you want to be protected when you go back to work, you can do it. And if you don't, that's your choice. But um, that will be the date that we can, you know, have people go back is when when anybody who wants to can be protected. Yeah, I am looking forward to that day. A shot in the arm for 2021. Totally. That'd be great. Evan, thank you so much for speaking with us today. I really appreciate your insights. And I really wish you and your company the best of luck for this new year. And uh, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, It's been my pleasure, Don. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. One final note before we cast off is I want to thank our sponsors, which is NatureBox, dedicated to providing engagement, wellness snacks that can reduce stress in one's body using adaptogenic plant-based ingredients and services to really help HR departments and executives motivate their teams with these wonderful perks at home. Don't take it from us. Take it from some of our big customers, Google, Facebook, and others. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.